0: Section forty five of the Life of Samuel Johnson Volume four. This is a LibriVox recording, all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Samuel Johnson Volume four by James Boswell, Section forty five. Mr Coleman, in his prose on several occasions, has a letter from Lexiphenes. Containing proposals for a glossary of vocabulary of the vulgar tongue, intended as a supplement to a larger dictionary. Footnote. Higgledy-piggledy. Conglomeration and confusion. Hodgepodge. A culinary mixture of heterogeneous ingredients applied metaphorically to all discordant combinations. Tit-for-tat. Adequate retaliation shilly-shally hesitation and irresolution FIFA fum gigantic intonations rigmarole discourse incoherent and rhapsodical crinkum-crankum lines of irregularity and involution ding-dong tintinnabulary chimes used metaphorically to signify dispatch and vehemence Boswell. It is evidently meant as a sportive sally of ridicule on johnson whose style is thus imitated without being grossly overcharged it is easy to foresee that the idle and illiterate will complain that i have increased their labours by endeavouring to diminish them and that i have explained what is more easy by what is more difficult ignotum per ignotius i expect on the other hand the liberal acknowledgments of the learned he who is buried in scholastic retirement secluded from the assemblies of the gay and remote from the circles of the polite will at once comprehend the definitions and be grateful for such a seasonable and necessary elucidation of his mother-tongue annexed to this letter is a short specimen of the work thrown together in a vague and desultory manner, not even adhering to alphabetical concatenation. Footnote. In all the editions that I have examined, the sentence in the text, beginning with annexed and ending with concatenation, is printed as if it were Boswell's. It is a quotation from volume 2, page 3 of Coleman's book. End of footnote. The serious imitators of Johnson's style whether intentionally, or by the imperceptible effect of its strength and animation, are, as I have already occasion to observe, so many, that I might introduce quotations from a numerous body of writers in our language, since he appeared in the literary world. I shall point out only the following. William Robertson, Doctor of Divinity in other parts of the globe man in his rudest state appears as lord of the creation giving law to various tribes of animals which he has tamed and reduced to subjection the tartar follows his prey on the horse which he has reared or tends his numerous herds which furnish him both with food and clothing the arab has rendered the camel docile and avails himself of its persevering strength. The Laplander has formed the reindeer to be subservient to his will, and even the people of Kamschatka have trained their dogs to labour. This command over the inferior creatures is one of the noblest prerogatives of man, and among the greatest efforts of his wisdom and power. Without this his dominion is incomplete. He is a monarch who has no subjects, a master without servants, and must perform every operation by the strength of his own arm. Edward Gibbon the squire. Gibbon thus writes of his own style, the style of an author should be the image of his mind, but the choice and command of language is the fruit of exercise, many experiments were made before i could hit the middle tone between a dull chronicle and a rhetorical declamation three times did i compose the first chapter and twice the second and third before i was tolerably satisfied with their effect of of all our passions and appetites the love of power is of the most imperious and unsociable nature since the pride of one man requires the submission of the multitude. In the tumult of civil discord the laws of society lose their force, and their place is seldom supplied by those of humanity. The ardour of contention, the pride of victory, the despair of success, the memory of past injuries, and the fear of future dangers, all contribute to inflame the mind, and to silence the voice of pity. Miss Burney Macaulay gives a yet better example of her Johnsonian style, though, as I have shown, he is wrong in saying that Johnson's hand can be seen. End of footnote. My family, mistaking ambition for honour and rank for dignity, have long planned a splendid connection for me to which, though my invariable repugnance has stopped any advances, their wishes and their views immovably adhere. I am but too certain they will now listen to no other. I dread therefore to make a trial where I despair of success. I know not how to risk a prayer with those who may silence me by a command rev mr nares the passage which i quote is taken from that gentleman's elements of ortho epi containing a distinct view of the whole analogy of the english language so far as relates to pronunciation accent and quantity london seventeen eighty four. i beg leave to offer my particular acknowledgments to the author of a work of uncommon merit and great utility I know no book which contains in the same compass more learning, polite literature, sound sense, accuracy of arrangement, and perspicuity of expression. Boswell. End of in an enlightened and improving age, much, perhaps, is not to be apprehended from the inroads of mere caprice. At such a period it will generally be perceived that needless irregularity, is the worst of all deformities, and that nothing is so truly elegant in language as the simplicity of unviolated analogy. Rules will, therefore, be observed, so far as they are known and acknowledged. But at the same time, the desire of improvement having been once excited, will not remain inactive. And its efforts, unless assisted by knowledge as much as they are prompted by zeal, will not unfrequently be found pernicious, so that the very persons whose intention it is to perfect the instrument of reason will deprave and disorder it unknowingly. At such a time, then, it becomes peculiarly necessary that the analogy of language should be fully examined and understood, that its rules, should be carefully laid down, and that it should be clearly known, how much it contains which being already right, should be defended from change and violation, how much it has that demands amendment, and how much that, for fear of greater inconveniencies, must perhaps be left unaltered, though irregular. A distinguished author in the mirror a periodical paper published at edinburgh has imitated johnson very closely Footnote. that collection was presented to dr johnson i believe by its authors and i heard him speak very well of it boswell the mirror was published in seventeen seventy nine to eighty by seventeen ninety three it reached its ninth edition for an account of it see appendix d d to forbes's beaty Henry Mackenzie, the author of *The Man of Feeling*, was the chief contributor as well as the conductor of the paper. He is given as the author of number sixteen in Linham's edition, page one. End of footnote. Thus, in number sixteen, the effects of the return of spring have been frequently remarked, as well in relation to the human mind as to the animal and vegetable world. The reviving power of this season has been traced from the fields to the herds that inhabit them, and from the lower classes of beings up to man. Gladness and joy are described as prevailing through universal nature, animating the low of the cattle, the carol of the birds, and the pipe of the shepherd. The Reverend Dr Knox, Master of Tunbridge School, footnote. The name of Vicesimus Knox is now scarcely known, yet so late as 1824 his collected works were published in seven Octavo volumes. The editor says of his essays, In no department of Belle Lettre has any publication excepting The Spectator been so extensively circulated. It has been translated into most of the European languages. End of footnote appears to have the imitari avio of johnson's style perpetually in his mind and to his assiduous though not servile study of it we may partly ascribe the extensive popularity of his writings Footnote. it were to be wished that he had imitated that great man in every respect and had not followed the example of dr adam smith in ungraciously attacking his venerable alma mater oxford it must however be observed that he is much less to blame than smith he only objects to certain particulars smith to the whole institution though indebted for much of his learning to an exhibition which he enjoyed for many years at balliol college neither of them however will do any hurt to the noblest university in the world While I animadvert on what appears to me exceptionable in some of the works of Dr. Knox, I cannot refuse due praise to others of his productions, particularly his sermons, and to the spirit with which he maintains against presumptuous heretics, the consolatory doctrines peculiar to the Christian revelation. This he has done in a manner equally strenuous and conciliating. Neither ought I to omit mentioning a remarkable instance of his candour. Notwithstanding the wide difference of our opinions upon the important subject of university education, in a letter to me concerning this work he thus expresses himself. I thank you for the very great entertainment your life of Johnson gives me. It is a most valuable work. Yours is a new species of biography happy for johnson that he had so able a recorder of his wit and wisdom possible End of in his essays moral and literary number three we find the following passage the polish of external grace may indeed be deferred till the approach of manhood when solidity is obtained by pursuing the modes prescribed by our forefathers then may the file be used the firm substance will bear attrition and the lustre then acquired will be durable there is however one in number 11 which is blown up into such humidity as to be truly ludicrous the writer means to tell us that members of parliament who have run in debt by extravagance will sell their votes to avoid an arrest which he thus expresses footnote Dr Knox, in his moral and literary abstraction may be excused for not knowing the political regulations of his country. No senator can be in the hands of a bailiff, Boswell. End of footnote. They who build houses and collect costly pictures and furniture with the money of an honest artisan or mechanic will be very glad of emancipation from the hands of a bailiff by a sale of their senatorial suffrage, but I think the most perfect imitation of Johnson is a professed one entitled "A Criticism on Gray's Elegy in a Country Churchyard," said to be written by Mr. Young, Professor of Greek at Glasgow, and of which let him have the credit unless a better title can be shown. It has not only the peculiarities of Johnson's style, but that very species of literary discussion and illustration for which he was eminent. Having already quoted so much from others, I shall refer the curious to this performance with an assurance of much entertainment. Footnote. It is entitled A continuation of Dr. J. Blank's criticism on the poems of Gray the following is perhaps the best passage on Some fine evening gray had seen the moon shining on a tower such as is here described an owl might be seen peeping out from the ivy with which it was clad of the observer the station might be such that the owl now emerged from the mantling presented itself to his eye in profile skirting with the moon's limb all this is well. the perspective is striking and the picture well defined but the poet was not contented he felt a desire to enlarge it and in executing his purpose gave it accumulation without improvement the idea of the owls complaining is an artificial one And the views on which it proceeds absurd. Gray should have seen that it but ill befitted the bird of wisdom to complain to the moon of an intrusion which the moon could no more help than herself. Johnson wrote of this book, I know little of it, for though it was sent me, I never cut the leaves open. I had a letter with it, representing it to me as my own work. In such an account, To the public, there may be humour, but to myself it was neither serious nor comical. I suspect the writer to be wrong-headed. I was told, wrote Walpole, it would divert me, that it seems to criticise Gray, but really laughs at Johnson. I sent for it and skimmed it over, but I'm not at all clear what it means. No recommendation of anything. I rather think the author wishes to be taken by Gray's admirers for A Ridiculer of Johnson, and by the latter's for A censurer of Gray. The cleverest parody of the doctor's style of criticism, wrote Sir Walter Scott, is by John Young of Glasgow, and is very capital. End of footnote. Yet whatever merit there may be in any imitations of Johnson's style, every good judge must see that they are obviously different from the original, for all of them are either deficient in its force or overloaded with its peculiarities, and the powerful sentiment to which it is suited is not to be found. Johnson's affection for his departed relations seemed to grow warmer as he approached nearer to the time when he might hope to see them again It probably appeared to him that he should upbraid himself with unkind inattention Were he to leave the world without having paid a tribute of respect to their memory? To mr. Green apothecary at Lichfield dear sir I have enclosed the epitaph for my father mother and brother to be all engraved on the large size and laid in the middle aisle in st michael's church which i request the clergymen and church wardens to permit footnote situs est michael johnson vir impavidus constans animosus bricolorum immemo laborum patientissimus Fiducia Christiana Fortis Fevirusque, pater Familias Aprime ap Strenus, ad Admodum Peritus, Mente et Librus et Negotiis Exculta, Animo Ita Firma ut Rebus Adversis dui Conflictatus Nesci Bi Nescuis Depurit, Lingua Sic Temperata, ut Ei Nichil Corores Terpias Velcastas. Lacis et, adolor vel voluptas unquam expresserit. Natus, cobleai in agro de Anumile sesciente quinquaginta sex, obiet mille septiginta trigenta uno. Aposita est Sara coniux, antiqua Fodoron gente oriunda. Pondomis sedulum, foris pocus notam, nulli malestam, mentis acumine et judicii subtritate praecellentem, alius multum sibi parum indulgentem. Aetanitate semper attentam. Omni nomen comendavit. Nata notoniae regis in agro Vicentiae anno millesse centis 1759. obiecit cum natale ilorum filio qui natus 1712, septuaginti duodecim cum vire serani et, et corpus multo politerentu anno 1730, trigenti vitam brevam pia morte finivit. End the first care must be to find the exact place of interment that the stone may protect the bodies footnote. Hawkins says that he asks that the stone over his own grave might be so placed as to protect his body from injury Harwood says that the stone in st. Michael's was removed in 1796 when the church was paved a fresh one with the old inscriptions was placed in the church on the hundredth anniversary of johnson's death by robert thorpe esq of buxton road house macclesfield the reverend james Sargentson, rector of st michael's suggests to me that the first stone was never set up it is he says unlikely that such a memorial within a dozen years was treated so unworthily Moreover, in 1841, and again in 1883, during reparations of the church, a very careful search was made for it, but without result. There may have been, he thinks, some difficulty in finding the exact place of interment. The matter may have stood over till it was forgotten, and the mason, whose receipted bill shows that he was paid for the stone, may have used it for some other purpose. End of footnote then let the stone be deep, massy and hard, and do not let the difference of ten pounds or more defeat our purpose. I have enclosed ten pounds, and Mrs. Porter will pay you ten more, which I gave her, for the same purpose. What more is wanted shall be sent, and I beg that all possible haste may be made, for I wish to have it done while I am yet alive. Let me know, dear sir, that you receive this. I am, sir, your most humble servant, Samuel Johnson, december the second, seventeen eighty-four. To Mrs. Lucy Porter in Lichfield, dear madam, I am very ill and desire your prayers. I have sent Mr. Green the epitaph and a power to call on you for ten pounds. I laid this summer a stone over Tetty in the chapel of Bromley in Kent. The inscription is in Latin, of which this is the English. In square brackets, here a translation. That this is done, I thought it fit that you should know. What care will be taken of us? Who can tell? May God pardon and bless us for Jesus Christ's sake. I am, etc. Samuel Johnson, December the 2nd, 1784. Footnote. He would also says hawkins have written in latin verse an epitaph for mr garrick but found himself unequal to the task of original poetic composition in that language my readers are now at last to behold samuel johnson preparing himself for that doom from which the most exalted powers afford no exemption to man footnote. in his life of brown johnson wrote the time will come to every human being when it must be known how well he can bear to die and It has appeared that our author's fortitude did not desert him in the great hour of trial End of footnote. Death had always been to him an object of terror, so that though by no means happy, he still clung to life with an eagerness at which many have wondered. At any time when he was ill he was very much pleased to be told that he looked better. An ingenious member of the Eumelian club, footnote, a club in London founded by the learned and ingenious physician Dr. Ash, in honour of whose name it was called Eumelian from the Greek, Greek Eumelius, though it was warmly contended and even put to a vote that it should have the more obvious appellation of Fraxinian from the Latin boswell this club founded in seventeen eighty eight met at the blenheim tavern bond street reynolds boswell burney and wyndham were members Greek eumelias means armed with good ashen spear footnote. informs me that upon one occasion when he said to him that he saw health returning to his cheek johnson seized him by the hand and exclaimed sir You are one of the kindest friends I ever had. His own state of his views of futurity will appear truly rational, and may perhaps impress the unthinking with seriousness. You know, says he, I never thought confidence with respect to futurity any part of the character of a brave, a wise, or a good man. Bravery has no place where it can avail nothing. Wisdom impresses strongly the consciousness of those faults of which it is perhaps itself an aggravation, and goodness always wishing to be better, and imputing every deficience to criminal negligence, and every fault to voluntary corruption, never dares to suppose the condition of forgiveness fulfilled, nor what is wanting in the crime supplied by penitence. This is the state of the best but what must be the condition of him whose heart will not suffer him to rank himself among the best or among the good such must be his dread of the approaching trial as will leave him little attention to the opinion of those whom he is leaving for ever and the serenity that is not felt can be no virtue to feign his great fear of death and the strange dark manner in which sir john hawkins imparts the uneasiness which he expressed on account of offences with which he charged himself may give occasion to injurious suspicions as if there had been something of more than ordinary criminality weighing upon his conscience on that account therefore as well as from the regard to truth which he inculcated I am to mention with all possible respect and delicacy however that his conduct after he came to london and had associated with savage and others was not so strictly virtuous in one respect as when he was a younger man it was well known that his amorous inclinations were uncommonly strong and impetuous he owned to many of his friends that he used to take women of the town to taverns and Hear them relate their history in short it must not be concealed that like many other good and pious men among whom we may place the Apostle Paul upon his own authority Johnson was not free from propensities which were ever warring against the law of his mind and that in his combats with them he was sometimes overcome footnote Johnson's passions wrote Reynolds were like those of other men the difference only lay in his keeping a stricter watch over himself in petty circumstances this in square brackets question mark his wayward disposition appeared but in greater things he thought it worth while to summon his recollection and to be always on his guard in square brackets to them that loved him not as rough as winter to those who sought his love as mild as summer. Many instances will readily occur to those who knew him intimately of the guard which he endeavoured always to keep over himself. End of footnote. Here let the profane and licentious pause. Let them not thoughtlessly say that Johnson was an hypocrite, or that his principles were not firm because his practice was not uniformly conformable to what he professed. Let the question be considered independent of moral and religious association, and no man will deny that thousands, in many instances, act against conviction. Is a prodigal, for example, an hypocrite, when he owns he is satisfied that his extravagance will bring him to ruin and misery? We are sure he believes it, but immediate inclination strengthened by indulgence prevails over that belief in influencing his conduct why then shall credit be refused to the sincerity of those who acknowledge their persuasion of moral and religious duty yet sometimes fail of living as it requires i heard dr johnson once observe there is something noble in publishing truth though it condemns oneself. self. On the same subject, in his letter to Mrs. Thrale, dated November twenty ninth seventeen eighty three, he makes the following just observation. Life, to be worthy of a rational being, must be always in progression. We must always purpose to do more or better than in time past. The mind is enlarged and elevated by mere purposes, though they end as they began. In square brackets, in the original, begin by airy contemplation. We compare and judge, though we do not practise. end a footnote. And one who said in his presence he had no notion of people being in earnest in their good professions whose practice was not suitable to them, was thus reprimanded by him. Sir, are you so grossly ignorant of human nature, as not to know that a man may be very sincere in good principles, without having good practice? End of section 45